Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Here we go. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word that you would speak today. As I told the uh, first service and just the transparency of it all, this has been a crazy week. First Sunday in five and a half years that I haven't been able to preach through my notes a couple times to myself in my office and uh, feel a bit naked about that. But it's your word. So we're going to kind of go with the flow a little bit today. And we're going to enjoy you. I pray, please, God, please take me out of this and put you all in. Not by my strength, only by yours. We are a church that in many ways today is ministry tired. People serving, attending conference last weekend, a landscape day, and this another one coming up. And But we rest in you. And I just pray, God, work us over. Love the comments from the men. Multiple times it came up, truth and love. May that be what happens this morning. Truth and love. Love and truth. And may it be at all yours. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, here we go, Harvest. Revelation chapter 3, let me read verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wow. Wake up. Church, verse 2, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That's God the Father. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they're worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Hey, do you remember in the very beginning of this, I talked about the first words of the book of Revelation. Tell us what the book of Revelation is about. We oftentimes think the book of Revelation, so cool, we get to talk about like all the future stuff and all, and no question, that's in there. But the first words of the book of Revelation tell what the book of Revelation is about. It is about Jesus Christ revealing Jesus Christ. 
It is not the poor carpenter son, Jesus. I mean, it is, but you, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's not the hippie sandaled uh, teaching Jesus. This is the fully magnified, fully glorified Jesus Christ in the full deal of who he is. That's the one. And he is revealing who he is. And out of this text, we need to know, we need to see, we need to understand who Jesus is more. And I just call you like the end of the verse says, he who has ears to hear, listen up, listen up, because I'm going to tell you, going through these churches, I did not expect, I have not preached through the seven churches before and going through these said these dudes are wearing me out because it's just getting worse and worse it's like come on isn't there like a good church we get to get like well there was there was with smyrna but it's like after a while i'm like come on man and i gotta tell you i'm sad to say but we're really at the pits right now with this one because this is a dead church but here we go that's real positive, isn't it? Okay, three things every one of these churches put out. There's a setting statement, then there's an attribute statement, and then there's an I know statement. Let's touch on these, and I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be a big part of the whole sermon here right now. At least it was last service. <laughs> Verse 1, and to the messenger of the church of Sardis, the setting statement. It's in Sardis. It's writing to the church of Sardis. John is on the island of Patmos. Uh, Jesus is revealing himself. The revelation one, Jesus is revealing himself and he's revealing what he wants said to this church. Uh, you can see here, let's go ahead and go up on the screen with the map. You can see here where Sardis is. Sardis is about 50 miles uh, east of Smyrna. It's about 30 miles south of Thyatira there. It, it's placed in this area and a few things about it. It was a major trade city. I kind of think of it a little bit like Indianapolis. It was a major trade city, five roads all kind kind of converge there at Sardis. And so because of that, you can just imagine that there's a lot of trade that's going on. Sardis was known for gold. So in the, in the gold world, uh, because of the river right by it, there was lots of panning of gold and there was lots of processing of gold, forging gold and so forth in there. Uh, also, Sardis was known for its wool. It was a massive wool producing place, which uh, probably we're not even going to give to. But now when you see in the text, when it talks about dirty linens, dirty wool, uh, boy, that, they knew exactly what that was about in the text. And so wool was a big thing. Garments producing was a big thing there. The city was built on a towering hill. And this is really important to understand. Uh, the city was kind of in a valley area. It, 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 it came up about 1,500 feet. And then in its early days, it was built up on the top of this. And it wasn't like a hill that went like this. It was really a hill that kind of went wham, almost up, just about vertical. And so it's like a perfect kind of a place to be able to be protected. It had one area that kind of trickled down that made it easier to come out, but kind of three quarters of it was very sharp hills on it. Why is that important? That's important because the city knew that it had a, a great uh, structure. It, it saw itself as impenetrable. That was its also its problem. Greatest strength, greatest problem. What ended up happening is about 600 years before the writing of Revelation 3 here in Sardis, the Persian Empire came in and took Sardis over. How did it take Sardis over? I'm glad you asked. They did it this way. They were guarding the section that was easier to climb up, and the Persians, smart people, 
They came on the backside that was not guarded. And during the evening, they sent one guy up at a time. One guy climbed up. 1,500 feet. Tall? Say tall. Tall? Okay. 1,500 feet. And they're one at a time. And they're going up in the middle of the night doing this thing. Why? Because it's unguarded right there. And they end up taking over Sardis. Guess what happens about three decades, about 350 years later? Same thing. You know, history repeats itself. We have a tendency not to learn things from the past. And so what ends up happening is Antiochus the Great does the exact same thing about 300. must have been like on the news or something. And he saw that and he's like, hey, let's do it this way. Uh, What was going on? It was a city that was complacent and overconfident. And it got careless. And I thought, we don't need to guard that. Because who can do that? Duh, dude. Especially after the first takeover. Like someone did. Overconfident, complacent, and careless. And it went down. And hear me on this. That was the church in Sardis. Overconfident, complacent, and careless. And especially, it was a church living in the glory days of its past. Have you ever... uh, lived in the glory days of your own personal past? You know, I wouldn't do this, but I don't know, you know, those images of when you actually could really run faster than most, when you uh, had more hair, and you look back, and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Hey, Even if you're in high school, you know what I'm talking about. The glory days, the days of the past. You know, it's kind of like everything was bigger back then. Everything was better back then. The world was better. People were better. Music was better. (laughs) I'm a 70s rock guy, so... (laughs) And I didn't hear an amen on that. (laughs) TV was better. (laughs) Um, Cars were better. Oh, I know. Church was better back then. My former church was just better there. Back to church when I grew up, it was better there. They knew how to do the music then and I just love that, and, and uh, I just love the way they did things there. The air was cleaner, the sun was brighter. And there was a whole lot less sin in the world back then. You know what I'm talking about? That was Sardis. That was the church in Sardis. That's kind of the setting. The attribute statement. Let's talk about that. Look at the text. It says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Uh, remember, um, every one of these addresses to, one of these, to the, each of the seven churches, Jesus names a unique attribute about himself. The attribute about himself fits with what he is about to say. Every one of them, he does this. And every attribute, he says, is a different attribute. And every attribute he uses is pulled out of Revelation chapter 1. 
And here in this, uh, he has this, uh, the words of him who has, or New International Version, you have holds. I, I like that uh, idea, the, the Greek form of the word. It's a present active participle. Participle is kind of like a verb. It's present active. It means it's a continuous thing. He presently, actively, is continuously, he has this. He's got it. He's got it. What does he have? He has the seven spirits of God. Well, what's that about? Well, uh, Verse 4, chapter 1, talks, mentions about this. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about it, and I appreciate all the theological commentary guys and eggheads, but it's sometimes they just get uh, too stuck on the discussion of it. And I'll just mention this quickly. Uh, one of the discussions is it could be coming out of Isaiah 11, verse 2, uh, where it talks about how uh, there's seven attributes of the Spirit, it says. It says uh, the Spirit of the Lord, of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord. Uh, it could be with that. In other words, seven of them, kind of think of a menorah. It has seven uh, places for a candle, for seven lights. Also, some say Zechariah 4 talks about uh, this idea that gives a symbolic description of the Holy Spirit on the lampstand. That's kind of the menorah thing where it gives this picture of the Spirit with these. You know what? I don't know which one it is. And frankly, I don't think it ultimately really matters, but it just means this. It means the Spirit, the seven uh, Spirit thing. It means it's complete. It's full. It's, it's got it all. And who holds that? Christ does. Who has that? Listen, this is the Trinity. This is the second person of the Trinity talking about the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, I got that. we're, We're a team in this thing. In other words, Jesus Christ is represented in his church through his Holy Spirit in this day and age. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars. That was already talked about in chapter 1. The seven stars are are the the seven messengers. I think that Angelos, the word there, we talked about it. It's a messenger. I don't think it's an angel, you know, with golden wings and all that kind of stuff. But it's a human messenger. I think it's one of the the plurality of leadership from each of the churches. They're there and likely going to be taking back a written uh, copy of what... uh, John is having here for these churches to read all of them. Um, That's what's going on. One commentator said, Jesus depicts himself as the one who sovereignly works in his church through the Holy Spirit and godly leadership. So I asked the question, why is this attribute statement made for this church? I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Why is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and about leadership in the church there. Because this church in Sardis is devoid of the Holy Spirit, devoid of godly leadership, and it's dead. And Jesus is putting this out on the table. Listen, I hold the Spirit of God. We work as a team, and also godly leadership is part of how I work my thing with my people. And guess what? You guys don't have either of those. You are dead. There's not much more sad than a dead church. I mean, how can you be a church and dead? That's so sad. But that's what's going on, and he gives the attribute. So, so that's kind of the setting. That's the attribute statement. And now third, the I know statement. You see that uh, here, uh, middle of verse 1? 
Uh, I know, it's oida, it's, it's, I absolutely know, I, uh, I know, I didn't just get a memo, I just didn't learn something the other day, it's not something that someone just refreshed my mind, or God the Father just kind of informed me, and I've been clueless on it, I absolutely know, he starts every one of his addresses to every one of these churches with that statement, I know, I know, and look at this here, I know your works, that is so interesting. He doesn't say, I know your heart. He doesn't say, I know your intentions. Hey, listen, we live in a culture right now where it's all about your intentions. The works are kind of like whatever. As long as your intentions are good, whatever happens after that. Even if whatever happens after that is a bad idea, as long as the intentions are good, even the bad works don't really matter out of that. I mean, that's our culture, that's our government, that's what's happening all over the place. And Jesus is not saying, I know your intentions. He's saying, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you do. He also doesn't say, I know your theological knowledge. He doesn't say, I know your doctrinal statement. He doesn't say, I know your creeds. He doesn't say, I know your mission statement. I think all of those are important things, but that's not what he's saying. He doesn't say, I know your spiritual heritage. He doesn't say, I know your leadership structure. He doesn't say, I know your awards as a church. He says, I absolutely, fully, and infallibly, I know what you are doing. I know what you do. I know your works. By the way, look at the beginning of chapter 2. He says to Ephesus, I know your works. Uh, Then he says over to uh, Thyatira, verse 19, I know your works. He says to Sardis, middle of verse 1, I know your works. Guess what? He's going to say to the next two churches, first thing he says is, I know your works. This should grab our attention. should grab our attention because um, works matter. Works matter. What you do at work matters. Matters to Jesus. What you do at work matters. What you do at home matters. What you do at school matters. We have such a tendency to kind of think there's my spiritual me and there's the rest of my life me. No, no, no. It's all one. What you do at a Colts game matters. What you do on a date matters to Jesus. What you do on the weekends matters to Jesus. What you do at church matters to Jesus. By the way, that also means I know your works. That also means what we don't do matters. Doug, I thought Jesus is all about grace, not works. Yeah, for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. If you think you can earn salvation by working it, by a certain level of morality, I love you enough just to be able to say you're wrong. And you're wrong not because of what I say, you're wrong because of what Jesus says. What we really come to understand in the scriptures is that what happens after salvation, Jesus is like, show me your works. And if you're not convinced of that, read the book of James. Faith without works 
is what? And this was a dead church. No works, no faith, dead. Yeah, but uh, Doug, I'm not a works guy. I'm not a works gal. Yeah, Jesus knows that. Doug, I'll be the judge of my works. I just want to tell you, for one, I don't want to be. But do know this, you're not. Jesus is. And you will be judged for your works. Redeemed one in Christ. That's the reality. I know your works. Look at the rest of the text. I know your works. You have the reputation. There's a word. We get that word. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So here it is. People, organizations in a church, or people and organizations see this church as alive. But Jesus thinks differently. They think they're alive. Other people think they're alive. But Jesus is like, what? Dead. I just want to note here at this point uh, there's no commendation from Jesus to this church. To Ephesus, even though they weren't loving on him well, he did say, you're working hard for me. Smyrna talks about how in all their tribulations, he's saying, you know, you're persevering in me. I love that. Pergamum, as we've talked, Jesus is basically saying, hey, you're dating around on me, but he does put in there, you hold fast to me. Thyatira, you're sleeping around on me, but Jesus says, hey, you, you work and you love and you endure. Sardis, he comes in and he says, you're dead. Period. No commendation of anything. Not even like, you got a nice building. What does commending the dead? Where's the va- what's the value in that? They're dead. They can't even hear. They don't even know. They don't even care. They're not even interested. So I don't even say it. This is really sad. I know your works. I know that you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Let me drill into this. We think that we can be the own assessors of ourselves. I mean, I know me best. Mm, That's actually not true. We think that we can be the best assessors, that we are the best assessors of ourselves. And part of when we assess ourselves is by gathering together what other people think of ourselves. How do I think of me? Well, I think of me by what I think of me, and I think of me by what I understand from kind of what you folks think of me. And that's then how I think of me. Do you see what I'm saying? 
We, we think that we can make a, a good assessment of ourselves. The truth of the matter is, is we can't. We can't. We're not good at it. <laughs> Reputation. I love the word. Reputation. Um, we get reputation, don't we? You know, the motorcycle dude. I'm not, I'm not anti-motorcycle. But I'm just like, I just want you to know, I'm a bad boy. Or then the really hot-looking GQ guy there, strutting his stuff. You can just see it, can't you? I just want you to know, I'm hot. Okay, I, I don't. You, you got what I'm saying. Then Steve Urkel over here. Bless his heart. You know, but yet at the same time, there are those who are techie and they want you to know that. I'm not anti-techie. Chris loves techie, but Chris isn't a nerd. (laughs) At least Chris doesn't dress like this. Hey, it's okay to be techie. It's okay to ride motorcycles. It's okay to dress nice. The, The dude smoking a cigar... Lighten it with a $100 bill. You're an idiot. (laughs) Right? Why is he doing that? Because he can, and he wants you to know that. Because I'm loaded, man. It's all a game. It's all an image. By the way, ladies, I put up all guy pictures today because I act like men, and plus I didn't want to get stoned. And then this guy over here, I just want you to know that I'm religious. You know, that's what we were talking about. Men are not superheroes. We're not the full package. We're all screwed up. We're all broken. And yet, (laughs) oh, I hope I'm never like him. Now the guy at the top. I hope I'm never like that either. But isn't it interesting here? Seriously. Seriously. Uh, years ago, we were over in London, and we saw all the punkers over in one area. And I know this is dating myself. It's not quite as much the thing now, but it was at the time. And I remember all the punkers were over there, and we were talking about it. And it's like, isn't it interesting? They all look the same. And yet, what are they trying to do? They're trying to be different. But there's this thing about, I want to be different than everybody else. But what ends up happening? They all end up looking exactly the same. Just a different colored thing going on up here. It's all image. Hey, let's just be real. We try to be a real church here. Let's just be real. We all play the game. We all do. We all struggle with the fear of man, what you think of me with these other kinds of things. And we all play the reputation game. And have you ever heard in the church world where it's like, you guys have been around a year, uh, five and a half years and you're, you're like hitting over 600 a week now? Do you realize we're hitting over 600 a week? I can't believe that. And then it's like, yeah, man, we're not even there. And you're like, yeah, because we are an awesome church. Someone's phone's going. That's actually up here. Jesus is calling. 
He's got a word for us. <laughs> oh, I love it. Whoever that is, they're feeling really bad, and that's part of what I'm loving. <laughs> it's probably my fault. Reputation. Let me just say it this way because time. According to Jesus Christ, the people in, church, in uh, Sardis, the church in Sardis, whatever they thought, whatever they thought of themselves, whatever they took in from other people, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus saw them as dead. Let me keep drilling this in. Question. Whose eyes are you most interested in seeing you? Whose eyes are you most interested in having a look at you? Whose eyes are you most interested in having assess you? You? Because I think naturally that's the answer for all of us. I'm most interested in assessing myself. What I think about myself is what matters. But here's the deal. We live in a world that has been created by a creator. And the truth of the matter is, is you and I don't make the assessment. We are living under a creator that does make the assessment. And so when we look at this, it's really this as kind and truth and out of love as I can say this. What I think, what you think is irrelevant. Because there will be a day when every one of us will stand before the creator of this universe and it will all be about what he thinks. I want to talk to two people. I want to talk to all of us. And then I want to talk to uh, people who are saved in Christ. I want to talk to every one of us about this. How do you know whether you are really saved in Jesus Christ? How do you know? Karen and I, over the years, as we've been working with people over the years and asking them that question, it comes to this. I think okay, uh, I want people to think. The Lord wants people to think. Jesus Christ is for thinking people. But, but in it, when it comes right down to it, it doesn't really matter what I think. Ultimately, it's really all about what does the Lord think? How do you know that you are redeemed in Jesus Christ if you care? The question is, What does Jesus say to the question? How does he answer it? I walked down the aisle years ago and I prayed a prayer. There's a time when I was 10 years old where I did this. Five years ago. This happened. Okay. That's information that you know about. But I still want to keep coming back to this. What does Jesus understand? What does Jesus understand? 
Because friends, one of the scariest verses in all of scripture is in Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus makes this declaration and Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, there will be many who call me Lord, Lord. And maybe right now today, you're like, well, as I would, I would say, yeah, he's my Lord. And you're saying that. But then the text goes on to say, Jesus is going to say, well, I'm going to respond to them. I never knew you. They thought they knew Jesus. He never knew them. And people again and again and again, I'm, I'm not the judge, I can't tell, but I can press into you today in love and go this people again and again and they go, well, well yeah, I did this. Well, well, yeah, I think this. Well, well, yeah, I think this. And many will. And by the way, it's not a few, it's many will say this to me. And in a room this size, I've just got to, by the odds of statistics, be able to go, there are people, say, there are people in here today, maybe it's you who is saying, yes. I am saved in Christ, and he's going, well, how about asking me about that? Does Jesus know that you know Jesus? But I did. No. What does he think? How do you know what he thinks? Let me go through some scriptures for you. Romans chapter 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. Verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Friends, wherever you go on the face of the earth, if it's a human, know this. We all start in the same place. And that's right now we start in the place where sinners separated from God. You can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and you can verify that out. And by the way, you're not there like, oh, crud, someone threw me there. No, we're all there because we deserve to be there. Separated from God. Romans 6.23, God says, this is what God thinks. God understands that the wages of that sin is death, separation from God. God also understands and says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He is the righteous, we are the unrighteous. He died. That was God's answer for our sin problem. Uh, and yet the Bible also says, Jesus said in John 10, 9, he says, I am the door if anyone an- enters by me, not by Buddha, not by Muhammad, not by anybody else, if anyone enters by by me, Jesus Christ, you will be saved. All have sinned, all have fallen uh, short of the glory of God, all uh, uh, deserve death and separation. God did a Jesus work in coming and providing uh, forgiveness for our sins, but he has not automatically applied it to everybody because in the whole process of it, he says, I've made it available. What are you going to do with it? I'm not going to cram it on you. Jesus says, If you enter by me, that's conditional statement. 
The Bible also says, which means God also says, Romans uh, uh, 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved if you confess with your mouth. Add to that Mark chapter 3, it's not just this. Hey, Jesus, you died for me. I receive you. I believe you did that whole thing is talking about. I receive you. I got the golden ticket. Okay, let's do my own life. Jesus over, if that's been the case for you, Jesus over here going, dude, and do that. I don't even know you. You're trying to date me. I'm not interested in dating. I'm interested in a covenant relationship. And by the way, everybody who's been married, you know the day you were married. And if you don't, you're in trouble. (laughs) Well, we're dating. So it's kind of like marriage. No, it's not. Well, we're engaged. That's about like marriage. It's about, but it's not. You know when you are married, when you, whether you make it before two people or 2,000 people, when you make a declaration, a covenant commitment time, do you know when you have done that? Well, back when I was like a long time ago, I kind of began this process of moving towards this whole thing. No, that's dating, Have you entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ as he sees it? I plead with you. Don't be someone from Matthew 7 who all of a sudden goes, excuse me, holy crap, I missed out. I thought I was redeemed. But from his place, I was never redeemed. Please, please, I'm dead serious, please. This isn't a decision about having a Snickers bar or a Milky Way bar. This is about heaven and hell for all of eternity. Don't play with it. Don't go around and hold on to some little thing you did 5, 10, 20 years ago. And there's been no fruit since then. Listen, what does he say? That's what matters in this. Jesus knows And he knows who's alive and he knows who's dead. And oh, please don't swindle yourself. If you don't know. If you don't know if he knows. Friends. Today is the day. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And saved is shown by the works that come after it. I don't have the time to keep pressing in and do an altar call today. But listen, friends, if you don't know, you got to talk with someone around you. You've got to get this done out of love for you and your eternity. And I'm way over time. Second, I want to talk to persons who are saved in Christ. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, to grow, to mature in him. 
It's not golden ticket world. It's becoming an adopted child of the Savior and then coming to understand and live out that adoption. And let me ask you this question. Are you growing in Jesus Christ? Are you growing in Jesus Christ? Well, I think I am. I'm kind of okay with where I am. You know, I do a little bit more than other people. After all, I'm like a small group leader. Who cares what you think? Who cares what I think? In Jesus' eyes, are you growing and maturing in him? He knows. He knows. And if you're not, it's time to suck it up and it's time to get after it. Because friends, there's nothing better than this. Nothing better than this. There's nothing better than being redeemed in Jesus Christ, adopted in Jesus Christ, and being able to come to learn what life in Jesus Christ is all about. Forever is not just a future thing. Forever is starting to be lived now. And if you're okay with a sappy little uh, read a couple verses a day and then like do your life, that's not growing and changing in Jesus' eyes. Even if you or I think it is, it doesn't matter. Does he think that I'm growing? Are you growing? Because if you're not, guess what? I have one word for all of us in that two weeks and the one word is Laodicea. Well, I'm kind of lukewarm. Guess what? Jesus knows that, and he has something to say about that, and in advance of it all, it's not very good. He wants to puke you out of his mouth. I get no thrill in saying this. Please understand. I go home after days like this, I just want to crawl away. But I don't want anyone leaving here today thinking that you are redeemed in Jesus Christ and Jesus is going, but they're dead. Oh, just give up the pride. Just give it up. Who cares? Come to Jesus, drive the stake in the ground. And if you think you've been growing and you're okay with your not growing the way Jesus would want you to, listen, now's the time. Now's the time, please. Now's the time. This is what happens when you don't go over your notes and you don't know how to close. And I will just say this, look at the text because the text says, wake up, strengthen what remains. Hey, if you're alive, something remains. It's this idea of if there's a bonfire that's there and this roaring and at night and then you, you know, you go to bed and, and, and it's like it's all on its own and you come back in the morning on a cold day and it's like you put your hand over it. There's no heat. It's like it's a dead fire. This is the picture of this. 
And you kind of go, are there any embers in there? <sighs> you pull some logs off, <sighs> blow the dead ashes. And you're looking for anything a little red and glowing. And then you see a little bit. You see a small little ember there. What do you do? You, you blow just... And then it comes up and you grab a couple things and dry things and you put on it and it's there. And, and then you grab a Frisbee. It's <laughs> usually what I'd use. Or a plate. Kind of do the little wave. Hey. Don't leave discouraged today. Convicted's okay. But if you haven't been burning the fire... burning please you've got the rest of the notes what are the next three things I remember seriously remember keep and repent I want to just finish with this. You've been seeing this picture on the screen the whole time, and uh, this is Notre Dame in Paris, France. Um, it's a cool picture. You can see there, um, our family visited Notre Dame some years ago. Glory days. <laughs> um, go ahead and go on to the next slide, get us out of there. Thanks, Chris. When Notre Dame was built, the people, the church, they were involved, the city was involved, all the notable people were involved. It's a beautiful building. You walk in and it's stunning. In 1272, they uh, finished it, 100 years after they started it. And to this day, it's still the talk of Paris. When it was dedicated, it wasn't dedicated to Jesus. It was dedicated to Mary. What's with that? They still have services there. Oh, but it's alive. It's dead. The gospel's not proclaimed there. And people are going to go to hell. Jesus never came into their life. They never asked him. They never taught that. 
May that not be you. May that not be us. Hey, friends, in a few months, and Lord willing, if we move over into this new building, these were good old days. They were. I'm grateful for them. But no one is allowed to go, it was brighter back there. It was better back there. If we were only smaller back there, I wish we were back to the 200. It was a lot easier for me. But the gospel is about more. And I'm not ashamed to say that. More people, more growth, more redemption, more. Lord, um, I'm just going to close here and... uh, at a loss for words. God, I pray that anything I may have said would just kind of be eliminated here that is not of you, that is not proper, that is not what you would want to be sticking today. Just take it away. And I would just ask that you would put all you on the table, all you, just all you, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here in this room that uh, doesn't know you as Savior, that they would come and receive you as their Savior right now, Lord, that they would drive the stake in the ground and acknowledge their sin and receive you as their savior, not for the golden ticket, but for redemption for eternity, to become adopted by you, justified by you, sanctified by you. And Lord, I even pray if there's someone here today that they've been talking for maybe months, years that that they are yours and yet they now are sitting here and are wondering, oh God, I just pray that they would just humble themselves, themselves before you and that they would just commit them to make sure, Lord, this isn't about receiving again and again and again over time, but this is about the fact of making sure that we know you and we're not playing a game with ourselves, Lord. Father, I pray for those that are redeemed in Christ that if there's been no growth in their life that you would convict them for your good and that we would begin growing with fervor and with passion. Lord, as I just look out at these people, you love them. And you know what's going on in every person's reality. And God, would they understand what you know to be the reality. You love us. You love us. Lord, you, you love us. unworthy but you love us Spirit of God do a work in us in the precious name of Jesus we pray